Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sonnet 73, a podcast dedicated to discussing all manner of elder law issues. I'm David Slonim of the Slonim Law Firm, based in Melbourne, Florida, but work with clients throughout the state. Today, I'm going to be talking with Pamela Furr of the Puzzle Box Academy in Brevard County, Florida. She is a seasoned educator and business manager who holds a degree in early childhood education, elementary education, and is licensed by the state of Florida as a voluntary pre-kindergarten instructor and facilitator. Ms. Furr holds a director's credential by the state of Florida and Department of Children and Family Services. She's also a former licensed insurance agent and adjuster who is well versed in the regulations regarding reimbursement of insurance plans regarding child therapy services. She was also the senior negotiator trainer for Aetna Healthcare in the early 2000s. She left the finance and insurance industry when her own son was diagnosed with autism in 2007. Mrs. Furr has since dedicated her life to the education and early intervention treatment of children and families in the autism spectrum. Ms. Furr's personal experience allows her to reach out to parents on an emotional level, not otherwise permitted by those not affected by the disorder. We're here to talk today about special needs kids. Is that what you call them these days? Well, you know, we're in a society where everyone is a little sensitive. I would like to say developmentally delayed. Okay. Um, special needs and more assistive needs, things okay. along those lines. Um, I think the biggest part is remembering that our population of developmentally delayed people are still very much aware. So... I think nowadays they're speaking vocally about, hey, I'm here, so how about just me? Okay. I just have a little more, you know, (laughs) hands-on. I have hands-on needs. There you go. (laughs) Hands-on needs, not special needs. Yeah, I like that. So they're mostly developmentally delayed kids. Uh, And again, what we're going to be discussing today is going to be part of the legal side of things and why uh, there does need to be some involvement on a legal side. Uh, for the parents and the kids to know exactly what's going on, especially once they turn 18. That's really kind of the key component here. Um, You know, prior to 18, of course, the parents have uh, all authority uh, as the natural guardian, natural parents of the kids. Uh, But after that that magical day of their 18th birthday in the United States, then those kids are are independent. They're grown-up adults, whether or not they have the uh, developmental um, ability of a standard uh, relatively normal adult versus a a delayed developmental situation there, right? Right. So that's kind of where I see a lot of kids um, and their families with a guardian advocacy. Oh, absolutely. So that's, uh, just for those who aren't aware, uh, a guardian advocacy is where a parent usually uh, will file for a special type of guardianship called being a guardian advocate, uh, and they are specifically for individuals, uh, usually their children, uh, who are born with a developmental delay. 
and then we have an IEP uh, or some other medical instrument that's going to be provided to the judge that's going to show that delay was uh, from birth and then there's going to be a guardianship in place. Well, the IEP would be from their academic side. Mm -hmm. So the IEP is an individual education plan. So in that plan, it would discuss the delays that that child would have. And now we're talking about a young adult, actually, because we're looking at them closer to 18. Um, one of the biggest things that we do in our school, in our business, is we look at things homeogeneously, which our government should do when we're talking about our children with developmental delays. Homeogeneously means that they're grouped based on their developmental skill. So you may have an 18-year-old that may only be at a 12-year-old or 8th grade level. Um, we think of things that, oh, well, if you're 18, you're a senior. You know, that's kind of how we've been custom to grow up in the school system is, oh, you're five years old, you're in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And then five, then six, you're in first grade, seventh, you're in second grade. Well, our kids aren't learning, and right now, and they're not learning at that pace anymore, so I should say. They're growing chronologically, so they're matching Correct. the age, the grade, but then you have a developmental issue that they're not necessarily developing at their uh, age or grade level. Correct, absolutely, and that's what we see a lot of times with our younger students um, that would benefit if they were actually held back mm -hmm. a grade or two. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think parents are pushed so hard to get their kids into school. Um, I think one of the, the things I'd like to share while we have the, the population listening is that parents need to realize that in the state of Florida, their child does not have to be five to be in school. The legal age to enter school is six years of age. So you must be in an educational program by the time you are six years of age. That one year can make a huge difference for a lot of our kids. Um, my son was born August 13th. So he hit that being five before September 1st. But if I would have known the information I have now then, I would have held him back a whole entire year. Um, he was already facing the um, autism developmental delays. Right. Then you add to it his birthday being right before September 1st. So he was one of the youngest always in his class. Well, that learning time, especially when kids are between that toddler and then going into elementary, you know, four, five, six, the brain is moving and processing and growing, and the executive functioning skills that our kids even have at you know matching colors or being able to start to tie their shoes, things along those lines, all come at a different time for all different children. So I think the number one thing to let parents know on the opposite end, we're going to talk about them as older, is remember that you still have that control. Utilize it while you have it, because when they get 18, you don't have that control. There's right. no more implied control. So They're true. 18. At 18, you're done. Correct. Let's go back for a moment. I just mentioned that you were the owner of Puzzle Box Academy, mm -hmm. and I said you were Pam Fur. <laughs> but uh, let's go back to some of your credentials a little bit. You also mentioned your son. Yes. So, uh, so how old is your son now? He's 16. 16. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so... Um, do you want to mention his name at all? So, oh, my son, okay. wonderful Loki. So okay. I'll make him listen to the podcast. It'll right. be all right. All right. Um, he's, he's phenomenal. He's my North Star. He has been my guiding route to everything that I've done. I was a mom just like everyone else, you know, had birth, had a baby. Then all of a sudden, ooh, my child needed a little more attention than most others. When did you find that out? Um, he was... So, I'm going back to his birthday. 
So on his first birthday, 12 months old, um, we had his birthday party and everything was fine, completely neurotypical. And this is in an age of where we have video cameras. So we have, you know, the digital imprint where we can watch everything and repeat. Right. Um, so at his first birthday, everything was fine. By the time Thanksgiving came around, my son uh, lost all forms of communication, eye contact, and that's when we noticed like his stereotypy at fans and things along those lines started. So from August to November, correct. you just saw that switch almost being thrown, or was it a gradual thing? Um, no, it was more, it was more of a, a overnight. But as a parent, you know, you're like, oh my goodness, maybe he's sick, what's mm -hmm. going on? And then, you know, again, first baby, I've never had any other kids. There's no manual, you know, you're doing the best you can. And everyone, when they come over, oh, he's great, he wasn't crying, you know, he was a happy baby. Like, okay, he won't look at me and he's not talking anymore, but no more bottle or up or down, all that went away. Hmm. Um, so immediately called a pediatrician and, uh, you know, I'm just one of those hypersensitive moms that is paying attention too much. Just let it go, mom, relax, it'll be okay. So that was in November. In December, it was Christmas. He got a fever on Christmas Eve. I took him in to the urgent care you know, center, and they were like, oh, you know, he's breaking teeth, you know, not to worry, these type of things. And I'm like, okay, well, again, red flags are going up. And so I'm telling the person that's in the, the urgent care what's going on and how he's not talked now, and he used to talk. And so she gave me the birth to three resource. So I called them. What is that? So every state um, has a form of... Um, early intervention, and it's available to all families. There's no income param or parameters for it. We have it here in Brevard County, too. Um, so it's it, provided by the county, it's free? It's by the state. The, by the state, state does, okay. and each county has their own office. Um, so we have an office here that's over by the health complex in Vieira, um, but they are here to field the parents that may just be, you know, parents that want to make sure that their kids are okay. I am the worst helicopter mom, so I'll just get that out. Oh, yeah, I know anything, everything. I've got his iPhone on lockdown, his Discord. I've got a, a name on his Discord, which I can't let him know in case he's listening, <laughs> so that I jump in, and I'm in his chat rooms, and he doesn't even have a clue on it. Yep, I'm that mom. So, but Birth to Three is there to help all of our parents. It is a free resource, and that is very important for your listeners. It's free, and it is available to every parent. It doesn't matter the income bracket. It is for the child. So and that's I want to stress onto that one. That is what that program is there for. It is to give parents the learning. Um, the It can be speech therapy. It could be occupational therapy. They can even send in ABA therapy to help the parents if they see that there's developmental delays. So if you think that your child is delayed and not hitting those developmental milestones that you can find on Dr. Google, call Birth to Three office in your county and make an appointment. Mm -hmm. They normally have a wait list but it won't hurt you to right. have that resource. Every child deserves it. It's a resource available for all the children. You know, so make the call. The, ble the best part is if somebody comes out and says, hey, guess what, Pam? You are worried for nothing. No, little Johnny's going to be just fine. Right. Right. You know, okay, right. all right, great, and move on. Um, but just remember that resource is there. So you called them and they came out? Yeah, I called them. They, they came out. Um, it was funny because they had a three-month wait list. And uh, so I went ahead and got on the list. You did know, you wait the three months? Yes, I did. Oh, well, hold on. There's yeah. a funny story about that because, <laughs> you know, then I go back in after his, you know, his ear infection or whatever they were saying that was causing this fever and the teething. 
which kind of goes hand in hand. So if you talk to a lot of ASD parents, we all kind of have the same similar stories if it was a child that had regression, which is so what they call Definition break, what is ASD for anybody who doesn't know? Oh, autism spectrum disorder. Got and it. I apologize, in the world I live in, there's lots of acronyms. But the hardest transition was that, no, that's not the American Bar Association. Okay. <laughs> ABA is Applied Behavioral Analysis. Oh, got it. Okay, ABA. Okay, <laughs> right. got it. Got it. Um, so just little things like that. But uh, I went to the pediatrician to follow up. You know, you go to urgent care, and so you're supposed to follow up with the pediatrician afterwards. You know, again, remember, obsessive here, making sure my kid is just perfect. And uh, that's when, I'll never forget, the doctor then recommended I should go see a developmental specialist. Because at this point, Loki should have had his communication back. Mm -hmm. So again, I brought it to her attention in November. <laughs> he then gets a fever. And now, since there's still no communication, now she's concerned. So she advised me to call birth to three. So at that appointment, I told her, so well, I already have. I'm already on the list, and they're going to come next month. <laughs> right. um, so they came out, the developmental pediatrician um, came out and did uh, their observation. And uh, they could not diagnose. They could just give me what they considered. And he was developmentally delayed on his expressive speech, which is extremely important because... You could ask him to do anything, and he would do it immediately. But he just couldn't communicate vocally to you. He couldn't express what he wanted. Responsively, he would answer back in his own way doing his task. So we knew that it wasn't a uh, hearing. It was He was comprehending because he could responsively come back to you, but he just couldn't vocally so he express could process himself. what you were saying. He could act and perform that task, and that was... Um, pretty easy for him to do, but he just couldn't come back and say, hey, mom, I did it, or Correct. have that response. Or tell me what he wanted. Yeah. Well, of course, he's at one at this time. So, so yes, absolutely. So, you know, and like I said, originally he had up, down, bottle, mom, that kind of thing. And he lost all that. Lost all of that. Um, so the, the birth to three representative, I, I'm just telling you, she's my Facebook friend still to this day, and uh, you keep in mind, he's 16, so 15 years later. ABA therapy was an experimental treatment back in 2006, which is when we started this adventure. Um, and then we met our first ABA therapist in 2008 because we had to go through the diagnosing process, which is a complete nightmare for any parent. Even here it is in 2021, it is a complete nightmare because there are very long wait lists to get to the correct person that can do a real diagnosis of your child. Um, we're talking three to six months, even in this day and age, um, just to get your child officially diagnosed because that diagnosis is important because then you can get the other treatments that come along with it. Um, his birth to three representative told us about ABA because they speculated that he was on the spectrum. Out of these list of 10 things, he hit about seven of them. Now, you have to remember in 2006, there wasn't a lot of information still about autism. It's amazing that just, it was already 2006 and we're still early days on it. Absolutely. Let me interrupt for a second because you were saying how difficult it is to to have all these services kind of coming in. Is that uh, something that, that causes a lot of parents and families to delay even applying or trying to get these Absolutely. services because of the challenges that are kind of in front of them to even get that far? Absolutely. Um, and the fact that we don't talk about the mental anxiety, stress, deep down, 
that all comes with a parent being told there's something wrong with their child. Um, I can tell you that when they told me to go see birth to three, that they speculated that he could have autism. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so what caused it? Mm -hmm. No How did it happen? Yeah, yeah. Where did this come from? I'm not autistic. What, what happened to my kid? Um, and my, I'll tell you, the pediatrician looked me dead in the eyes and she said, well, be glad he doesn't have behaviors. That was her advice to me after she told me that, you know, it's autism. There's no cure. We do not know how it's caused, but be glad that he doesn't have behaviors. What kind of behaviors? What does that mean? Oh, so some children mm -hmm. will scream out loud because think about their frustration. If you can't express to your mom, what do babies do when they come out of the womb? They cry. Right. You know, it's an auditory response because if I cry, I'm going to get your attention. If I cry, I get fed. If I cry, I go to sleep. So there's a lot of those things that are happening that go from a baby to a toddler and think about all that energy a one-year-old has, a two-year-old has. And if they can't tell you what they want, mm -hmm. then you've got a child, when I say behaviors, that will flip over things. Okay. That will, their stereotypy may be, instead of staring at fans, it may be flapping or jumping up and down. And it's an energy release for them. Mm -hmm. um, after my population for the last uh, almost seven years now, I've had a lot of time with ASD kids to talk to them and be like, mm -hmm. hey, why do you jump up and down? Are you, so I'm giving you information and insight, parents, if you're listening to this, that will come years down the road. They do it to release the energy. You know, a lot of times it's either inside the anxiety is building up on them or they're tired or they're trying to get away from a task. So it can also be a form of avoidance that they learn to use. But a lot of the times it's simply a coping skill for them. Mm -hmm. um, I get to have many conversations with my son now because he's well aware that he's autistic. He will talk to other students and other families and other parents. And um, all of our kids, especially in our high school program right now, are very aware of their developmental delays. Okay. And they communicate openly. Um, we had two of them that are like oil and water together. And you could hear them. It was like, well, when my autism hits, this is what I don't like. And the other one's like, That's yes, so well, this is what my autism does to <laughs> me. And I don't like this. And it's like two old men talking. It's great. You know, but we they're in a safe environment where they can speak freely so about this. Let me ask you something. Loki is high functioning. Yes. Right. So there is a spectrum of, of less than high functioning. Correct. To high functioning. And Huge. so, what do you call that, and how do you um, how do you relate to that? I mean, how do you so help? It's the autism spectrum right. disorder right. is what it's called. Um, so that's the ASD. And I wish your, your viewers could see me putting my hands up, but they're further away than my, my chest is broad. We may do a video log something. There you go. Later. Yeah, I'm very expressive. It's okay. <laughs> um, but there's different ranges. There's autism. There's PDD, which is what they um, persuasive developmental delay. And then there's Asperger's. These are the, the big three cornerstones. Asperger's is that your child um, social, emotional, there's delays there, but one of the triggers is that there was no loss in communication. Um, PDD is kind of the blanket where they kind of bungee fit. It's kind of like the, the most of the bell curve there. Yes, right? and then at the very end are your lower functioning children that need more support. Okay. When my son started, um, he was on the lower functioning end. Mm -hmm. So lost complete communication, completely nonverbal, was responsive, um, but 
had stereotopy, would stem, meaning he would jump up and down, flapping his arms, um, still eye contact. We work on really hard even today because he'll tell me now as an adult that he gets lost in a person's face. So he doesn't like to look at a person in their face because then they'll start looking at the hair and then he starts looking at their ears and he'll start looking at their mouth and hyper-focuses. So for him, it's difficult. That's why he will zone out. Um, but that, and, and, and again, the spectrum with it being so wide and so big, I'm going to sound for people that know me that I, I'm preaching on my box, but big another, this is like point number two to the parents there. If you ever take your child into a facility and they tell you they specialize in autism, unless it's Baylor or Harvard or Berkeley where they have the funds to have a facility the size of a Harvard or Baylor or NIH up in Northern Virginia, then run. You want to find a facility that specializes in your child. Mm -hmm. So not just a whole spectrum, but specifically in that Correct. Part of the spectrum. Absolutely. Kind of like a visual spectrum and just kind of wholeheartedly that word color, more or less. Yeah, right? and it's extremely hard. I, I'm letting you know from the business side um, because when, if you choose to do this as a business owner, and this is another thing that parents don't realize you're not doing this for the money, you're not doing this for working 60 hours a week. You're not doing this to be on call when a mom's in crisis at two in the morning because Johnny has smeared all over the bathroom. You know, there's, you do this because it's, it's a passion. I love my kids. I, I tell them I've got one child, but I've adopted like 80 others. Right. Because right. when a parent trusts you to take their child, when they cannot talk to you, when they can't say, mommy, you know, Joey hurt me at school today. You know, if they can't communicate that to you and that parent is trusting you to help bring that kid out of that shell, that's a huge responsibility, a huge responsibility. So when people are doing this, find the people. And it's easy, parents. If you actually do your research, you'll find the right fit for your kid. Because my school is not the right fit for everyone. My kids are college and trade bound. Uh, and it took me, now I'm almost in seven years, took me three of those years to figure out what our target environment is. But also parents, be patient because just because a facility works with developmentally delayed children, it may not be the right place for your child either. That facility's job is to make sure that it's the right fit for both the client and for the parent and for the facility. So you need to find a blend. And we're blessed. Brevard County, we have got a huge variety of providers in this county. And compared to, I do a free YouTube channel because there are places in the United States that do not have services at all. Mm. So we do free parent training and we give it out free on our YouTube channel every single month. Because if you go to Wyoming, I can tell you, I've got friends that are in China. There's 60 BCBAs and I think now there's 64. BCBA. Yeah, board certified behavioral analysts. Got it. In China, all of China. All of China. All of China. Six zero. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I think it's like 62 or 64 mm. now that are actually certified with the board. You know, but I'm just using that as a mass, if you can understand the population. Sure. And then you think of places like Wyoming. Mm -hmm. You think of places that are even in Nevada that so are on rural. the outskirts. Right, yeah. Yes, that yeah, don't yeah. have availability to right. these resources. Right. And all of those parents that are sitting there mm -hmm. with what do I do? Right. So when you mentioned this podcast, I was like, absolutely. Because it is another ground force for parents to know 
that there are milestones that they have to jump on. Number one, if you think your kid's delayed, get them into early intervention as soon as possible. That makes a big difference. Huge. Did that, when when Loki went through that, did that already kind of jumpstart him into... 100%. Bring him a little higher on the spectrum? I can tell you it made the night and day difference for him. Yeah. Uh, a complete night and day difference. Um, for Loki, I started ABA with him by the time he was two and a half years old. And he also had speech therapy, occupational therapy, a developmental pediatrician, a DAN doctor, which is Defeat Autism Now, which was a pediatrician that specialized only in autism. So um, we saw her, it was Dr. Pamela Compart, and she was in Columbia, Maryland. So I flew all over the place for my kids. It's why we ended up here in Brevard County, was because we flew down here for the biomedical doctors, for Dr. Rosenbaum and Dr. Bradstreet when they were here and uh, the school systems and things along those lines. And that's why I'm saying people do not realize how lucky we are in Brevard because we do have amazing support services available to us that even where I'm coming from in in the Northern Virginia area that we didn't have available at that time. Mm -hmm. So use the resources that are around you. Get your early intervention. Find a school that fits for your child. You know, and remember public schools right now are still a good choice. Just make sure that you do your due diligence as a parent and that that teacher is educated on how to deal with your child. Mm -hmm. Because the wrong thing said to a child from a teacher is impacting. Um, We've had kids that can repeat what their teachers have told them in the public school before they come to us. And it's like, my teacher used to ask me what was wrong with my brain. What's wrong with me? Why do I, you know... And you have to, then we have to break all that and let them know there's nothing wrong with your brain. You know, you think a little differently. You know, why do I jump up and down? Well, this is your body's way. This is how you release it. But that's not anything that makes you a bad person. You know, just because you're different doesn't make you bad. So so there were teachers out there, and I'm sure this happens everywhere, that were personalizing it. and Absolutely. It well, think about it. That's a thing. bad thing. We've got our teachers right now in the public school system. You're giving your teacher, there's one teacher and there's 25 kids in the classroom. That's not sustainable learning for any elementary student, let alone a student that needs that extra compassion to know, hey, it's okay, it's going to take you a little bit longer. You know, that's what we need to be doing in elementary. But we're not because we are already putting all of these rigid standards on our teachers, you know. So those teachers then have got that pressure. So then they're relaying that pressure to our kids. And COVID, let's not even talk about how COVID just amplified the entire situation. So as a parent, early intervention, find the right school, and then understand the true reality of your child. I can tell you, I, I am who I am, as you can tell. Get me passionate talking about my kids, and I will just ramble all day long. But I will also, for lack of a better words, I will not BS a parent either. I am very direct, and some people can't handle that. But if you come to me with the expectations that I want Johnny to be an architect and at 17 years old, we're having a hard time teaching Johnny how to function on even going to the bathroom, then we have to be realist on what that expectation is. Would you say that in your professional opinion that many of the parents that have kids that are delayed uh, that there, that the parents still, even all the way up to 17, 18, 
have a um, have a vision of their kids that is different from the reality of their kids? Or have they kind of gotten over that by that time? I wouldn't say a majority of them. I would say a selection. Um, there are, and again, remember this is what I deal with. It would be just like you with your demographic of client that comes in. You have the parents, and I see it a lot with my older, now that we've opened up our high school program, mm -hmm. that the parents or the child haven't had assistance or they haven't had support. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of those parents, they would be happy if their kid could just work at Publix Baggy. Mm -hmm. You know, those parents are the ones that are the more realist of where they're going. The hard parents are the ones that are the higher functioning kids. Okay, because um, they believe that they will be able to go to trade school, college, etc. Absolutely, so and don't get me could. wrong. I would say 95% of them can. You know, it's just finding what their niche is. Right. And that's a job. Process, now, hold right? on. That's a job. Yeah. Can they hold a job? Yes. So I'm going to talk personally. My son is high-functioning. He's finishing his high school this year in 10th grade. So in 10th grade, he'll be done in the next two years because he's doing our dual enrollment program. So he is going to high school within our PBA program, but then also doing Liberty University out of Blacksburg, Virginia. Okay, PBA is? Puzzle Box Academy. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. So he's extremely intelligent, but yet his executive functioning skills are not where they should be for a 16-year-old. So it's an asynchronous... Uh, capability. One, absolutely. Right? Oh yeah. my goodness. I, yeah. If you throw it, so. Um, that must throw a lot of parents off. Too, it right? extremely does. I have got the most, uh, down at my high school right now, this, this amazing student. He is phenomenal, brilliant, and the kindest, nicest kid that you will ever meet. I mean, almost like straight out of <laughs> Leave It to Beaver. I mean, I just, I can't even tell you. I get excited thinking about it because if you ever have doubt in humankind, you just come talk to this kid for 30 minutes and your whole life changes because you're like, where did you come from? But he will be taken advantage of because he wants friends so bad that he's a target. And those are the parents that I worry about because it's those kids that can easily blend but not be able to function successfully independently. So that's actually, that ties in really nicely with the discussion about a guardianship. Absolutely. Because when you have kids that have that capability and the parents say, oh, I think my kid can do these things on his own. And well, let's put off the guardianship because, you know, the, my son or daughter can function pretty well and they can go and do these things, but then they are open to exploitation. Uh, and of course, oftentimes um, the, the kids or the families are getting some government benefits that are, that are coming in from uh, you know, SSI or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then somebody could come in and then exploit them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. What about uh, credit card uh, offers? Mm -hmm. Something as small as a credit card offer. People forget about this. You know, as soon as they turn 18, those are already in the mailbox, you yeah. know. And financial literacy is something not taught in the public school system anymore. Right. You know, you have to take a class to learn bookkeeping. It's not just a general taught like home ec used to be. Right, right. So even in that situation, you've got kids that could be in huge financial debt because, oh, they got this offer that came in the mail, you know? And nowadays, if you 
get the telemarketing phone calls left and right. 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 Yeah. Anyone with a cell phone can be a target. And so if they have all their rights enabled, so to speak, and there's no guardianship in place by their parents, then there could be some significant financial uh, loss that could, that could occur. Oh, right? absolutely. Right. And the kids could go into debt or some other uh, things that then just tie up the legal system and other, you know, oh. problems as they go along with What about driving? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's things along those lines that I'm even dealing with myself right now with my 16-year-old that I'm like, oh, all right, we're going to do the learner's permit at 16, not at 15 where he could have because he wasn't ready. You know, that's a lot of responsibility. Um, and academic responsibility and executive functioning skills are two completely different um, parameters to look at. So you may have an all-A honor student. But you have to get up every morning and remind Johnny that he needs to brush his teeth, he needs to put his deodorant on, he needs to wash his face, he needs to put his shoes on, he needs, you know, the stuff that people don't see when they're in school, but it's the stuff the parents are doing. Those are the ones that should be calling your office right now. Those are the ones that are helicopter moms. Those are the ones that are like, oh, I'm going to take care of this. Dads that are doing it without anyone knowing. And then when he gets to school, it's like, because he knows what he's going to do. Well, what happens when school's over? Yeah, and that structure is gone. Correct. Right, yeah, yeah. Correct. And then then that's where the, the real concern comes in. And these are things that parents should already be thinking about 15. As soon as that, think about those five blocks, you know, five years old, then 10 years old, then at 15. Start thinking, what are you going to do? I've already started talking with parents because they've come to me about, okay, well, what are you going to do about college? And what are you going to do about high school? And they're looking to me for guidance because of my own son. Um it scares me. I'm telling you, he is brilliant. Exactly. I mean, this amazing head that he's got on him, biggest heart. He'll do anything in the world for anyone. Give his shirt off his back to a stranger. Which is a problem. Right? Which is a problem. Yeah, and I know right. that sounds horrible, but in yeah. today's society, right. it's being cautious. And a lot of our children with developmental delays want friendships mm -hmm. so badly. But understanding what a true friendship is, is something that has to be taught to them. So I do want to talk about the, the legal side and the guardianship uh, component of that, but I also really have a burning question based on what you just asked or mentioned. So let's say these kids are, you know, we're in the internet age for sure, mm -hmm. and social media is so uh, present yes. in everybody's life. And so I'm sure that he, even the uh, fun high-functioning kids are online. Yes. And so, like you said, you you know you pop into your son's uh, uh, accounts and whatnot to see what's going on. Does he get on social media on Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or one of the other things? And then, how do you monitor that? And how do you make sure that they're not being exploited or the, or or even just the negative side? If they're you know if there's people that are trolling or you know other bad things that are going on, how do you kind of monitor that and make sure that there's not negative aspect. So I can talk two ways. Um, from the educator, we have a class at our high school, we have a class at our elementary school that talks about social media and what to look out for. And in the elementary, we even talk about how stranger danger has changed and now what to look at it. We have an entire program we teach our elementary kids mm -hmm. because we use the computer so much. So right. even at elementary, for us in, at Puzzle Box, we teach a class for that that starts, and it's a behavioral talk class. So our BCBA actually leads that module. Um, we even, we have a whole program where we take them on field trips. And we Virtual have- Virtual field trips? Or no, 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 no. We actually take them to the park, and we actually have other parents 
that they don't know because we have to keep it in our community that go and try to talk to the kids because you don't know it until it happens. So we've got things like that that we do with our public kids. Now, as a parent, how do I do it as a parent? I got lucky with my son because, again, he vocalizes and is extremely intelligent. He hates anything that's Facebook related. So he does not have Facebook. He does not have Instagram. And he can talk to That could be another one of your podcasts. He's very entertaining. Um, He cannot stand social media in that aspect. Snapchat, he despises literally. Um, He says that it is the demoralization of female and male beauty. Okay. Uh, He cannot stand it, um, and he'll preach to you on it. So for him, he does Twitter and he does Discord, which reminds me of my old geek self is coming out because, you know, that's back in the day. That's what Discord, that's old server rooms. That's why I have fake accounts. Because with Discord, in order to do parental controls, it's extremely tedious. You've got to know where that child is. So I'm an administrator for every single one of the rooms that he has on my account. Mm-hmm. But then we also have got, um, it is, and I, I wish my IT guy was here, we also have this software monitoring system, and it's on all of our computers at the high school. And because it's at the high school, I also have it with my kid. But I can see his monitor at all times. I can go on, I click into my desktop, it pulls up, I can see everything that he's doing live. I can go and rewind and see what he's done for up to two hours onto the program. And then I can also take control of his computer if I have to. Mm-hmm. But I'm a helicopter mom. I was going to say, is that is that something that parents... If you have an doing? iPhone, you can set up the parental yeah. controls. Apple will walk you through it. You know, right. I'm not a big Android, so I can't give you the Android tips on that. I can tell you that at 10 o'clock that my house has no internet on my son's side because I have a mesh network, so I turn that off. His cell phone is allowed to listen to music only <laughs> at uh, 10 o'clock. I mean, so there, even though we're in a technology society, parents, it's the same way with when I'm telling them those milestones. It's the same way with this one. You've got to get hip with technology. So let's say you don't have time to get hip with tech or something else. Then you need to find someone who can do it for you. And are there... Um, companies or individuals that specialize in tech assistance for developmentally delayed families? You know, Not that I'm aware of. I don't understand. I, I don't know that there's one just for yeah. developmentally delayed. Maybe that's another aspect you should look into. Yeah. But, but Who I, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. My plate yeah. is full. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about your plate. You did talk about Puzzle Box Academy PBA. And so I did I, now, you know, almost, uh, what are we? Uh, well, almost 40 minutes in. Let's talk about PBA for a minute here. And, and uh, you know, you have, you're look, coming at this from the parent side and also the administrator, the teacher side and the professional right. side. So uh, tell us about PBA, how that got started, what it's all about, and what you're doing with it. So, again, like I was talking about my son going through ABA since he was little, I went to an IEP meeting in Brevard County. It was his kindergarten into first grade IEP meeting. And I sat at a table with about 13 other individuals, because again, I'm a helicopter mom, so you know they had their ducks in a row. And they were talking about how wonderful he did in kindergarten and what we're gonna do in first grade and how first grade's gonna be great. And uh, I sat at this meeting and I'm like, he's not ready for first grade. He's, again, remember, educator that's coming out, not um, just the mom. 
And again, we've been doing ABA since he was two. I already understood how young he was. And I was like, I don't think he's ready. They had a TK1 program, which is a transitional first grade program. So what they do is they basically repeat the last half of kindergarten and then get a half of first grade. Got it. It's so that the child, if they're um, a young first grader going in or that in right. the track. Just because of his birthday anyway Correct. in this case, regardless of the disability. But yeah. he was an all O, because <laughs> remember in kindergarten it's O's and S's? Yeah. So he was an all O student and they were like, no, he knows this material. And I'm like, yeah, but he's been repeating that material since he was two. So I should have trusted my mommy gut and I didn't. And they put him into first grade, long story short, within the first nine week term, the first grade teacher called me and was telling me about how he was jumping up and down and wouldn't sit in his seat and how he was on code red. And I'm like, for what? My son's never had behavioral issues. So what is he on code red for? Because I keep telling him to sit down, but he keeps jumping. Well, his jumping was his form of stimming. It was his stimulation. And so it, was, it wasn't something he could control. So he was getting in trouble in class for something he wasn't able to control. And that was because they took a sixth grade teacher she had been teaching sixth grade for 20 years. Mm. And because of the overpopulation of the school, they put her into a first grade class and had three autistic kids in the class. And she had no experience. And so the kid, you know, I have to understand from the administrator, but also the parent that I could see this teacher that's in crisis because she doesn't know how to handle these kids. And this isn't the age bracket she's used to teaching. And so, again, I feel for the public school system and the teachers there because a lot of the times they're just coping with what the district has given them and the district isn't in those classrooms to see the individual child. But I, I transgress again. Um, long story short, I left his IEP meeting, sat out in my car, and I cried for about 45 minutes because the alpha driver person I am who had been doing this since he was two was just railroaded by a team of people that knew what was best for my kid, but didn't know my kid like I knew. And all I kept thinking was, oh my gosh, how many other parents do they do this to? Here I am in my car crying. And, and if you get to know me, that's the worst thing that could, if you, if you point push me to that point that I cry, then it's like, okay, why did I let this happen? And where am I at? It's just how my brain works. And so the auditor in me was like, if this is happening to me, how many parents have you done this to? And I'm an educated, intelligent alpha. What, what is this? Oh, I was livid. Because in the crying, you know, you process and you're like, oh, that's just anger on the outside. I'm hurting. How dare you? And so that started PBA. I was going to only open an early intervention clinic because all the knowledge I had gained through flying from California to Maine to see all these biomedical doctors and then the Dan doctors and getting all of this information because that's the type of person I am. You know, again, we don't know what caused it and there's no cure. If someone tells a parent that, at least this parent, I'm not going to accept it. So I have traveled all over. Loki has had so many clicks in his passport before he was even five. Um, but I knew there had to be something we could do down here because there was so much information that families, even in my small little community from moving down here, didn't know. Just like cleaning the gut, they didn't know about biomedical treatment. They didn't know about therapies that could help these kids. They didn't know about retraining the brain. So my mission started. It was like I was just going to bring all this knowledge to parents so it didn't matter 
just because I was financially secure to get all that information, why is this information not readily available to all parents, right. regardless of how much right, they make? Right. Let it, me interrupt you for a moment because let's hold that thought, put a pin in it. I just wanted to ask you, we talked before about biomedical. Yes. We talked about pharmaceutical a little bit. I think that was kind of offline here. So let's touch on that just so we can... Absolutely. So I completely believe in pharmaceutical treatment. Um, there is a need for it, so please don't think I'm against it. But I don't believe in using it as a Band-Aid. I don't believe in taking one pill to get rid of the symptom but not fix why is that problem there. So um, that's what I took the approach with my son, was that, okay, great. So I can give him this pill for his attention. I can give him this pill because he's not sleeping at night. I gave there is a hole. By the way, my son didn't sleep all the way through the night. I mean, three hours is all we got until he was six years old. Wow. So from about one and a half until he was six, after three hours, he was wide awake. And this wasn't a like, oh, you let me just let me yeah. just sit back in bed and you'll go back to, oh, no, no. He wanted to fuss. He wanted to play. He went, yeah, no, no. That was, so I say that was just my prepping course. That was getting me ready for what I was about to do. Um, biomedical treatment is looking at the body homeogeneously, looking at all the parts interacting together, looking at that function of the body and going, okay, so I've got active you know, yeast in my gut, so let's get rid of the yeast first. So how do I do that? And then my son's not sleeping through the night, so is it because his magnesium is lower? You know, we supplement it with magnesium and 5-HTP, and then we also did a lot of B12, and we did B12 injections and things to boost his body. You know, it reminds me a lot of what you hear with COVID. So when COVID first came out, and everyone was talking about, oh, the vaccine, when will the vaccine, when will the vaccine get here? So before the vaccine, you heard all of the health people, take your elderberry flower, you know, get your vitamin, vitamin D, D. Exactly. right, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's biomedical treatment. That's you supporting the body biomedically to give it its best fighting chance to fight off anything naturally. Right. You know, pharmaceutical treatment is needed, but as long as you're fixing the problem, not masking, yeah. you know, the the... The symptoms that come with the problem. You think the medical community is set up more for pharmaceutical than biomedical necessarily? Absolutely. Yeah. We won't even go there in this That's what I was going to say. But yeah. I got to tell you also, because I've seen the whole gambit, you have to be with, look, I've got parents that have come in and been like, oh, we're going to do biomedical treatment on my kid and they do it for two weeks. You know, no, it is a commitment. It's you know? hard work to do. It, absolutely. Yeah. You know, look at your bodybuilders. They're doing biomedical treatment all on their own without even knowing supplements when they, you know, they're taking their BACBs and, you know, their creatine and they're making sure that they're doing their, you know, turmeric oil or their, their powder. All these supplements are the same thing that we're doing with biomedical treatment. So if you can imagine a bodybuilder that has all of his vitamins lined up, you know, seven days a week in his little pill capsules, they're doing the same thing, giving their bodies the best benefit the best chance of being able to be successful and thrive. And that's the same thing that we're doing. In a society of, and I'm going to say it, y'all may hate me for it, of lazy people. We've become very lazy because we're speeding through life. So we just take a pill, hopefully that'll be Oh, it. take that pill, it'll make it go away. You know, instead of, hey, get around that lake, you know, do two laps around the lake, right. put the exercise in, guess yeah. what, maybe that ankle will feel a little right. better. Or and And so... We want a quick fix. Why do you yeah. think the diet industry has got so many? Oh, take that pill. You right. drop 20 pounds yeah. in a week. 
Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, one of my favorite books is, uh, is Brave New World by Elvis Huxley. And there's a phrase in there, just, you know, take a gram and don't give a damn. And that's basically essentially the same thing that the pharmaceutical industry sort of more or less is, is doing. Oh. Not, not, you know, to the di not necessarily maliciously for the kids or the families. No, not at all. It's just the nature of the... Well, think about it, you know, it's a twofold. You know, when we, we look at our fast food chains that are aligning up our streets left and right, left and right, you know, it's easy to go grab a cheeseburger on the way home. Why? Because we've got both families working. You know, mom and dad are both working. We've now gone to the school. Now we're going to go to any type of extracurricular or therapy. Or, you know, you've got two kids. So you've got to run all over. So what are we doing as parents? We're run, 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 run. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's very convenient to grab that junk food on our way home because now where's family time? Right. It's all a matter of convenience and the convenience is built based on the way our lives have been impeded. You know, both parents have to work now. You know, we, I can tell you when the school started, we used to do this thing with Chick-fil-A and they would deliver our, we would do a special day and we'd deliver Chick-fil-A meals to the kids. And it was $4.50 for a chicken sandwich meal. It's $10.50 now. So from 2016, when it was four fifty, we're in 2021. It's $10.50. Yeah. Yeah. That says it all. That's that both families, we now have two income bringers. You have to. You can't survive otherwise. You know, families are on the rush. But then we also have to look at a society. And this comes to the same way when we're looking at biomedical and pharmaceutical treatment. When you're looking at a salad versus a Happy Meal or a Burger King meal, I'm not trying to, to point it's all the time, finger. right, yeah. But when it's also cheaper right. to buy that Burger King meal than it is to buy the salad, right. yeah. when you're already, you know, Rushed. it's, a, it's right. this, yes. So you have to look at all of the pieces that line up together, and we're going to have to break it so that we can get back to society roots. And, and that's cleaning our, ourselves up, you know. And yes, there should be pharmaceutical. COVID should be our big wake-up call as a society. Right. People that have that are overweight or have other uh, ailments that are that are oh well we brought yes we brought situation. we've got COVID testing kits now in our own business we did it for the clinic we brought it in ourselves because now it's three days just to get a rapid test so we wanted to make sure we had it on site for all of our employees um, but even then we've gotten now my my niece and my nephew both went to urgent care this week with sinus infections mm. and they both got COVID tested no matter what you know because they're both under so the doctor's like look we still had stuff before COVID but my sister's defense was like yeah but I work with kids I work in an environment I need to make sure that they're okay but we've got to think about that for our, our pediatricians our doctors everything our whole society in general number one clean up your gut clean up your body because it's your temple it's the only thing you've got while you're here you know, our bodies originally were made to live forever. You know, we've destroyed that. That's all our own human thing. <laughs> Take care of your body, you know, and some people can't because they're either in a medical or a mental situation that they can't. So do you know what you do? You're their neighbor. Be nice to them. You know, it's free. I, I It gets me so upset because... I hear parents talking to their children in line and I think about my nanny growing up and it's like, oh my goodness, if I ever turn around and like, what? You know, but these are all breakdowns in our, our communication with our kids. It's all breakdowns in our communication with our neighbors. 
you know, society in general. That's, again, another great topic for our conversation. Let's just talk about uh, PBA, where you are. So you started PBA, uh, again, uh, when your son uh, had was going into first grade. Mm-hmm. And and where did you start it? How many students were there? What was your focus? And where you going early, with it? Early intervention clinic was the focus. And so we opened up a very small clinic. It was only 2,000 square feet uh, in uh, off of uh, East Drive. And we, because the buildings and our funding took too long and we lost one of our buildings. So we originally had a building that was in Merritt Island and then we lost the contract because our funding took too long. And so we, when we went to, it was literally 30 days. So when we went to go redo the contract, they upped the price by $25,000. And when you're a new company, $25,000 is a big amount. I mean, that's that's huge. It's a make or break. And I'm like, no, that was salary retainment and things along those lines. So the parents were antsy. So we leased a little place, this little tiny hole in the wall. And uh, so that's how we started. And within a year, I had opened the clinic on Hibiscus, which was early intervention clinic, which is two-year-olds to six-year-olds. And then our elementary school opened, which was our pre-K all the way up to sixth grade at first. Mm. Consequently, I have our now 10,000 square feet early intervention uh, campus that's in Rockledge off of US-1. And we house our kids two to six that are our lower functioning children, kind of like where Loki started, where they're nonverbal or they don't have expressive language or they do and it's delayed you know things where they need it's one-on-one care um I, what kind I love of my family facilities care. and teachers do you have in there so those are our bcbas and our registered behavioral um, therapist along with we also have a neuropsychologist that uh, we work with as well dr salinas um, so that is all early intervention clinic then down at our palm bay campus is our elementary school and that goes from pre-k all the way up to eighth grade and then this school year, we just opened up our NASA campus that now holds our ninth graders all the way up to our seniors. No kidding, okay. And as of two weeks ago, when all the contracts got signed, um, we are looking to break ground on our Vieira property next year so that we can be prepared for the 2024 school year. Um, we are actually going to turn the NASA campus into a middle school, like an up north junior high school. So it'll be 8th, 9th, and 10th grade there. Um, I'm debating on whether it being 7th, 8th, and 9th, or 8th, 9th, and 10th. That's still in the works. But then our Vieira property will board our legacy high school. You say board. So yes. tell me about that. So the problem that I've seen across my entire gambit, and my son included, and COVID is this, this I'm telling you, spurred all of this, is that our children are more and more being pulled away from social interaction with actual humans. Everything is going online, Um, online schooling, online college, working from home. This has all been exacerbated because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So everyone's working from home now. Everyone's dating from home now. Everyone's communicating from home now. You know, what happens when you have to actually go interview for a job? Or how about what happens when our demographic of ASD kids are ready to go to college. Remember, I told you they can be brilliant kids, but it's that executive functioning skills and that's living independently on their own. 
that they suffer. That's when helicopters moms, that's when we're all going to be winos because we're like, oh my goodness, we got to send our kids to college. Who's going to be there to make sure they brush their teeth and they put their socks on and put their deodorant? Don't be the stinky kid. I mean, parents that are, they've got middle schoolers right now, I can tell you I probably made three or four of them laugh and maybe not just pee themselves on that one because we do it. We all go through it as parents. You know, neurotypical parents do it as teenagers. When you walk in and you see the, the clothes all over the bedroom and they're not doing, you know, their, their laundry and you're like, how are you going to go to college? You know, imagine our ASD population. So what we're going to do is we are going to have our boarding school and it's going to go to the 13th year. So we're going to follow like Canada and Europe does where our students at 12th grade, if they need additional time, there will be a 13th year for them to add electives or work on their boarding skills in our program. So the 13th grade year, but that doesn't necessarily match up chronologically with 1819, right? Correct. So our school campus will be probably 17 to 23. Uh -huh. So because, again, like I said, that's why we do the 13th year, because there are some kids that won't be ready at that time to go on because right. of the developmental delays. Right. Um, we are going to offer, it'll be a total of 95 boarders when phase one and phase two are done. So it's a 13,500 square foot high school, and then there's nine dormitory buildings on the campus. Amazing. So, wow. yeah. 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 It's. <laughs> so, but that's a sneak peek. We haven't even, we haven't even gone public with that one yet. So okay. there you go. Everybody Whoa. gets a little, little sneak on that one. So we're excited about it. Contracts have all been signed. Now, believe it or not, we worked on the operating agreement and the plats all confirmed yesterday. So I'm very excited. That, okay. But after that... Breaking story. Okay. After that one, I, I, I'm pretty much done. That's, and that's why I wanted it to be called the Legacy High School. Okay. Because at that point, it is, I have given a resource available for families from pre-K all the way up to graduation and making sure that not just that they graduate, but they have the skills available to communicate effectively and live independently. Um, example, my high schoolers are running their own t-shirt shop. So every single one of my high schoolers is learning how to run their own business so that they will be financially independent. You know, it's giving our kids skills now. Like we used to have the newspaper. I was editor of the school paper. Kids don't do that anymore. No paper, right, yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? No. So what we do is we have a green room, and they're going to run their own YouTube channel. Oh, wow. That's so great. the high schoolers will run their YouTube channel that will be displayed at PBA for our elementary kids. Right. You know, so it's always that chain reaction. And do you have other uh, facilities in your schools, like a kitchen, for example. Oh, so yes. you have other life skills that you, that you Oh, teach. my goodness. My elementary has... donuts. Yeah, I did. We, we love our cooking classes down. That's our elementary school. Um, we have a full-functioning kitchen, um, cooking kitchen that's in there. And, uh, yeah, you know, especially over COVID, we did Pam's Cooking Corner. And it was great because our kids, we, we took them into virtual learning. Even in our campus, well, we set it up through Microsoft Teams where all of our kids were able to learn online, even during the COVID pandemic. Um, now, blessfully, they're all back in brick and mortar, you know, and we have shields up for parents. I mean, I get upset because I know what we were able to do as a private school quickly and effectively. So I guess I get a little irritated when I know that there's provisions that could be placed when there's bigger schools that have bigger budgets than ours. Mm -hmm. And they don't take those. They don't take those precautions for their families. 
So, um, but yeah, no, we are cooking at each one. We have living skills at every one. At the Palm Bay campus, we even teach them laundry, which is great. Our parents love it because, you know, we're teaching third and fourth graders how to fold their clothes, how to wash their clothes, because we have to start now because there are delays, you know. But again, we're in that fast home life. By the time mom and dad pick them up at 4 o'clock and then if they have to go to therapy or if they have to go to the baseball game or if they go to football practice. So you go home, you scarf as much food as you can eat. Football is 6 to 9. Then you get home at 9 o'clock and then what? Time to go to bed. So where's family life? Where does any of that work? So question for you. Obviously, these uh, life skill training sessions and all the things that you have, they're primarily, I would presume, for the higher functioning kids. Where, I mean, where do the uh, kids that are in the middle of the spectrum or the lower end of the spectrum, what do, what kind of uh, activities can they perform, can they uh, be assisted in, and, and do they um, transition from that to some higher level? Do you see that often? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I just want to wholeheartedly. We had four kids go from our early intervention campus that went to our Palm Bay campus. We actually bus them. They're from Coco, and I think one of them's Merritt Island, and they meet us at Rockledge, and we bus them down to our elementary school. This is going to sound extremely funny, but our job is to be out of a job. You know, and I know that sounds very cliche, but it's you want those kids so that they can adjust into a neurotypical setting. Um, the lower functioning kids that you're speaking of, it's all based on what their class. We have one class at Palm Bay that are for kids that just need life skills. They're not going to be college bound. They're not going to be trade school bound. But we have one class for those children. And in that class, instead of worrying about geometry, with those kids, we're worrying about how do you sort you know, so that we can teach them a life skill so that they could end up being baggers if they wanted to. They could stock shelves if they wanted to. It again comes down to understanding what that true expectation is, clearly defining the expectation for that child. So you're meeting the kid, right? So you're, you're not trying to bring the kid to some other area in life. You're actually uh, analyzing what that child is able to do and to meet them there. Absolutely. Kind of Pull them in a direction they just can't go, not because they don't want to, but obviously because they just are, don't have the capability. Well, if you remember when I said talking about getting that diagnosis, the diagnosis is key in getting it from a true professional. Um, I can speak of my neuropsychologist. The report that she does for her families, it takes about a month to get back, but it's about 11 pages, and it breaks down what the best learning strategies are for that child. You know, how do they learn better? Because we're all different. Some people are auditory. Some people are visual. You know, some people are hands-on learners. So it breaks down how does that child learn the best. And that's what you want to look for. And then my own kid, he has fine motor skill problems. So Legos to him are death because what's in his brain, because he can run CCAD. He can run a CCAD program all day long. Throw Legos on the table, and he'll be able to tell you instantly, well, you know, with what you've got here, you could build this and this and this, and oh, well, we can make a river with those. He can see all of it, but the actual function of putting them together, his hands do not work as quick as his brain because of the skill set. So, They'll put him in front of Super Mario Brothers. Oh, absolutely. Right, he'll, yeah. he'll fly right through it. You put him in front of a CCAD processing, and he's like, boom, 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 building structures, and, yeah. and it's phenomenal. So I know that anything, he's not going to be a surgeon, you know. 
He's never going to play the bass or the guitar because that function in that, that hand strength is not. So what do I have to do? I have to look at what is his, his strength. And then I'm going to push him in that direction where he can succeed. Again, it comes down is that being real with parents, knowing the expectations of your child, and knowing that it's okay. It's okay if Johnny wants to make $15 an hour and flip burgers at McDonald's. It's okay if he's doing it because that brings him joy rather than he's doing that because it's an easy way out. Mm-hmm. You know? That's the, the understanding that parents need to walk away from. And it comes down to even with looking at their guardianship, understanding what you're doing, the real, what are you doing every day for your kid? Because what they may come in and tell you as an attorney versus what that really goes on in their house, it's night and day. I'm just very open because I made a promise when we were open in the schools. My son and I had to talk about it. I got asked, and I'll never forget the woman who did it. I could say her name right now, um, but she was she was kind of helping me guide me when I was opening the schools, and uh, she was in uh, Senator Posey's office, and she said, "Are you going to feel comfortable talking to the public about your son?" And I said, "I'm going to be a hundred percent open about my son. I'm going to be a hundred percent open about what I deal with." And I said, "Because that mom may be afraid to go. Hey, guess what?" My son's a fecal smear in the bathroom, and that's what he's doing to me. That's what I'm waking up every morning because she's in crisis and too afraid to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I will tell them everything. I will over. It's why talking is not a problem. I'll go in my car after this is done and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said all that. But I know that there's other parents that are too worried about what they're going to be judged with because my little kid doesn't fit in that box. Well, guess what? We're throwing that box out the window. 2020 did that for us, okay? So let your little kid thrive in whatever way he needs to thrive and help him thrive by understanding what his needs are. Don't worry about Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Worry about what's going to happen to your kid if you get hit by a car. We don't want to deal with that. And I know that's a rough topic, you know, but that's a reality. Single mom, that's what I've had to deal with. What's going to happen to Loki if, if something happens to me? You have to do it. Loki has a trust already set up. I'm telling you, parents, think about it ahead of time because you don't want people that aren't walking the walk to make the decisions when you can't. So let's talk about Sorry, that. Sorry, as a I little get off my soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> let's see if we can bring the, the guardianship side in. And also, you know, you did mention trust, and, you, and that's probably yeah. like a supplemental needs trust or a third party or a pooled trust. Lots of other kinds of trust that we can talk about at a later time. Uh, but, you know, the guardianship is, is important. Uh, first off, a guardian advocacy is the only kind of guardianship that can be brought that does not need counsel. So I don't actually have to be involved uh, to do that. So you can go to the courthouse and do it yourself, although, I, of course, as the attorney, I don't recommend that. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, steps that need to be taken that uh, you may not know as a layperson. And so uh, we charge a lower fee for a guardian advocate uh, filing. Um, and, and also, usually that can be filed uh, with uh, the child as an indigent, so it's going to actually uh, reduce or zero out the court costs and some of the examining, um, not examining, but some of the other fees that are involved in the guardianship. Uh, because once you do file the guardianship papers, then another attorney is appointed by the court. Uh, to represent that individual. So even though they're not 18 yet and, and uh, they may not be able to you know, have some of the uh, 
expressive capabilities, the court is going to appoint an attorney, uh, at least in, in Brevard County, uh, who is a private attorney who's going to come out and meet with the family, meet with the child, and then be able to speak to the court on that child's behalf. And so usually uh, that is something that, uh, if possible, then the, that uh, person would get paid. But if they're indigent, then actually the state is going to uh, cover that cost. Uh, so these are little things that, that you may not know if you're filing yourself. But if you go to an attorney that's versed in this area of law, then they're going to be able to help you file that. Also, some of the waiving of some of the background checks or uh, or uh, some of the other accountings that would typically be required, uh, then a guardianship attorney is going to know that these are the things that can be helped and uh, addressed early on. And so once that's filed, then the uh, pleadings are going to kind of go through the court system and you'll get a hearing date, uh, usually within about uh, 30 to 45 days uh, after. And then we want to have this done usually prior to the child turning 18. Uh, we can do it certainly after as well, but it can get a little bit more complicated uh, if they're already 18 by the time you file. So as you said earlier, Pam, you know, planning ahead to do some of this. And so you know, that planning is part of the guardianship. The other planning is, as you said, what happens to you. So I, in the guardianship, you can also have a standby guardian that you can petition for and kind of pre-appoint. So if something happened to you, there's that. But then you, you want to do your own estate planning as well. And I don't like to call it estate planning. I like to call it life planning because it's mostly what happens to you while you're living. The, only the will is going to be the estate part. And, you, you know, that's not going to be as, as important to you and to your kid. Uh, so those advanced directives, power of attorney, health care surrogate, etc., is all part of that. And then uh, when we do have assets that we want to pass along for the care and benefit of your child, uh, that's where some of these other uh, more interesting trusts can come about, supplemental needs trusts or, um, or even a pool trust. But that's, I think, something that we'll talk about uh, another time. But they are available, and I do recommend that the families have that discussion uh, earlier. So usually uh, when I uh, meet with the parents, they're usually the child is usually around 17 and a half, uh, more or less, and then we're able to get that done uh, either nearly uh, right away there or kind of put it off a little bit just until they get closer to 18. But there's no harm in having that guardianship earlier. So that's something that... Well, and from a school important. standpoint, mm -hmm. we have got... Uh, we had a situation where we had to discharge a student second semester of school because during the first semester, he was at an eighth, ninth grade mentality, but he was turning 18. And we had prompted the parent for two years thinking about guardianship and what you need to do and how you need to do it. And then she got extremely upset with us when we wouldn't let him in on campus when she couldn't provide paperwork that she was still, she had guardianship. From an liability side, from an, a school, you have to understand that when a child turns 18, they are an adult. They can check themselves out of school. They do not have to listen to the teacher. That then you are dealing with an adult. And I don't think parents realize that just because they're in school, they feel that that may not apply to their kid. And if they go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't oh, yeah. necessarily have to talk to the parents. Correct. I didn't even think about that. They, You're right. They go into the examining room. The doctor meets with them. There may be some things that are 
you know, talked about in there, and if the parent isn't in there with them, uh, you know, if they don't have the right HIPAA forms and other right. things like that. Oh, absolutely, then, and especially nowadays, yeah, where every I has to be dotted and crossed. So, so yeah, that guardianship is really important for that, and we also see it often with insurance. Oh, and so, didn't think, yeah. yeah, so, you know, if the parents may have insurance um, and then they want to have insurance on their kids, insurance companies may require a guardianship in order for the insurance be provided to their child. Otherwise, a child is, again, an adult yeah. and is not going to be applicable necessarily under the parent's insurance. So there's a lot of really good reasons, in addition to the exploitation potential uh, so, that was we discussed earlier. There. Yeah, because even if you're considering at 18 where they're going to live, mm -hmm. you know, whether they're staying in your home or they're going someplace else, there's still a lease that needs to be signed. There's still care that needs to be signed. Mm -hmm. So, And interesting, the guardian advocate is, is one of the few types of guardianship where the individual does not have a determination of incapacity. Nice. So we're able to then more finely craft the guardianship around the needs of that child. Uh, there's a typical standard list of rights that are removed with a guardianship because uh, guardianship is the um, kind of most restrictive means of being able to care for somebody on their legal rights. And so we try to uh, allow for, uh, if the individual has the ability to make a decision on voting or to decide where they live or to even marry or to work or to have other, to write okay. to contract, these are all things that we can start to uh, create a more or less a plan of how we're going to start and then we can have suggestions yes. of capacity along the way to then be less restrictive as they their mental capabilities are able to then match It's like a legal intervention plan. It you is. Know? I mean, yeah. so, but that is what it is. So you're looking at them not just for right now so that you can build with them as well. So right. it's adaptive. Right. It and is. I honestly, yeah. from a lay person, that's important. Even that knowledge is new for me because I didn't realize that it can be tweaked for the child. Right. It's not one stop. It's not, you know, like a course that you're going to tighten and then it's just going to stay that way the whole time. It's something that is going to, to grow and be uh, able to um, kind of be a better fit. Uh, for the child and the family as well. Absolutely. So, so again, it's really important for the families to come to uh, usually an attorney who's able to do this. Uh, but you know, even if they choose not to, then the forms are available uh, at the courthouse, and there are clerks available that can help them fill out the forms. So, you know, it depends on the financial need uh, of the individual. But it's really important to just get the guardianship done, regardless coming Absolutely. to me, to another attorney. Uh, that guardianship is really important there. Gotcha. So, no, it needs to yeah. protect the kid. Right. You know, that's right. what the whole, the whole point of everything, from the time you're in early intervention to the time that you're in elementary school to the time junior high or middle school that they do here to senior high, we're guiding them this whole time. You know, I was joking with my 16-year-old. He did something over the weekend, and I was like, you know what? I've given you everything that I can do. Now I'm just here to pick you up when you fall down. Yeah, But that's reality. Once they become adults, isn't that what we're doing? We're just there to help pick them up, brush them off, and say, okay, this is what you need to learn. Now let's off we go again. Let's try this again. Having this in place for your child takes, even for myself, the unknown. You know, someone still has to come from you. You know, you you still have that control. 
you know, especially for a child that is like, oh, I can spend, you know, $75 on Minecraft versus putting food in the refrigerator. You know, if you have to make that decision because you know they would choose Minecraft over the food, then you need to pick up the phone. <laughs> I mean, and that's understanding the reality of their child, oh, you know. Sure. And I know that that sounds funny, but there are, you would be surprised how many parents you go, hmm, if all you had was $75 to do this or $75 to do this, what would you do? You would be surprised with how many of my young adults would go, oh, I'm going to get Roblox or I'm going to get Minecraft or I'm going to be like, right. okay, what are you going to eat? Ritz crackers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's like, Again, the executive function isn't there to really properly correct. understand the results of those decisions. There. Right. right. Yeah. You got it. And, and that can, you know, that's a, that's a fun example but I have seen situations that have been much worse. Oh, we don't want to and, talk about that because then, it gets ugly. No, I it mean, is ugly, and we don't want to have a crisis situation on hand. You know, I like to say failing to plan is planning to fail. Oh, and be proactive and not you've reactive. You've got to yep. be proactive on that. And, and this is your child we're talking about. And so, you know, it's really so important to, to have that plan uh, in place, uh, at least the plan. You don't have to act on it necessarily right away. But know what you're getting into ahead of time. So, Absolutely. You know, and I'm sure you have resources available at PuzzleBox uh, to talk to families about that as well. And uh, we certainly do. We have it on the website and we have other, other areas that we can uh, share that information. Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up for the day? No, I think you, you hit it right on your last statement. Remember, you're, you are the advocate for your child. This is all about your child. So no one else is going to advocate for them. And that's the same reason that you need the guardianship is because you need to set up that parameter. And I love the idea of having a secondary person because I read a post the other day and it was a restaurant owner that had had a heart attack, died. And his wife and his son are trying to clean up everything and there was nothing in place. And I'm like, they added stress, the anxiety of not knowing. I, most of our ASD parents, autism spectrum disorder parents, are all helicopter parents, and so we all fixate, and we want to make sure that we have the best for our kid. Right. So right. don't let this be one of those things that you fall short on. So, so even your helicopter parent kids, out of curiosity, mm -hmm. what would you say that percentage of actually going into the, the planning and doing the, working the effort to do the guardianship or some other planning like that? I would that. say 60% of your parents will do that. 60% of your parents, as long as they are reminded, because it's not that they don't want to do it, but it's the fact that they have school, then they have therapy, then they have work, then they have their second job, and then they have... Those are the things that I see the parents, or they're afraid of the expense. Mm -hmm. You know, think about what's going to happen if you don't have those things set up. That's the expense I worry about. Those are the things. And understanding that there are resources available, mm -hmm. but it's taking that step. It's just another thing to put on the list that you've got to get done. Right. right. So right. procrastination, that's the biggest part right. because nobody wants to say, I did a guardianship for my, my son or daughter. You know, again, remember, you've got families that are doing a stigma of thinking what Mr. and Mrs. Jones are going to think. Mm -hmm. Stop caring about the Joneses. Okay, or the Britney Spearses. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, that prime example. Prime example there is you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right, Pam, it was great. We'll have you on again, I hope. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to have this posted soon. And um, 
get some good comments and uh, information out there. We'll also have hopefully uh, uh, somewhat of a transcript and some information uh, yes. going along with this uh, episode that then parents can find some good information uh, on um, the resources we talked about today. Sounds Thanks, fabulous. Pam. Thank you. So there you have it. That was a great interview with Pam Furr, president and owner of the Puzzle Box Academy. We'll be adding links to the website under podcasts to the services Pam and I talked about today. The links should also be up on Stitcher as well. Thanks again for joining us today on Sonnet 73, a podcast dedicated to the areas of law surrounding elder law and families with developmentally delayed children. Until next time, this is David Slonim.